Our ninth character quality this morning that we want to discuss that's, again, foundational to us endeavoring to sort of man up is the subject of sacrifice. And again, I think another major component, as are the others we've referred to, to building a stable, inspired course as a man is understanding the importance of personal sacrifice in our lives, or we might also refer to that as being sacrificial in nature. Uh, And when you look up the term sacrifice, it's defined as follows, an act of giving up something valued or important for the sake of someone or something else. Read that again. The act of giving up something valued or important for the sake of someone or for something else. So it's basically the choice to suffer, we might say, loss or maybe injury, or personal harm, maybe even setback, or loss of sleep, or again, we can fill anything into that category there for, let's say, for example, maybe an idea that you hold to very firmly. So again, I hope as a Christian man, as a Christ follower, you've come to understand that if you're going to live for Christ faithfully, For the idea that you believe honoring Jesus matters more than pleasing yourself or having the approval of others or whatever else you can fill in the category there, that for the idea that you firmly hold that honoring Christ and serving him in gratitude is important, that you're willing at times to count the cost, as Jesus talked about, in order to be a faithful disciple. And again, sometimes that choice to suffer loss or injury and sacrifice is for the betterment of another person. So we're going to talk about what describes the willingness to suffer personally in some way in our life for higher purposes, or we might say for the greater thing. It's that choice to set aside our own self-interests, to pursue the well-being of another, or maybe just, as I said, for some good cause. I think one of the greatest analogies or illustrations we could easily grab hold of in regards to this would be, for example, like a soldier serving in military combat. That willingness to go to foreign soil, to give up their comfort zone, to give up their time with their families and their loved ones and their freedoms in our country here, for example, and to go to a foreign place, endure difficult circumstances, and then even sometimes ultimately not only go through the hardships of combat and so forth, but even to, for example, sacrifice their own life. And it's all done really for the benefit of others, right? To protect others, to give us a better life here who are in a safe place while they're sacrificially enduring hardship and combat. So sometimes sacrifice is about giving up something good, for something that is better. And that's a part of sacrifice. We give up something good for something that's maybe just better. Sometimes sacrifice is enduring personal suffering or loss to make things better for someone else. Now, I think very obviously the greatest example of sacrifice in human history is our Lord Jesus Christ and his life, particularly as a man, as the son of man, who remember was also the son of God. And the fact that the Son of God would come and live among us in the way that he did as the Son of Man, demonstrating perfect, not just perfect humanity, but perfect manhood, perfect authenticity of what a real man is truly supposed to live like in the most appropriate way. Again, if you scrapped everything we've done here so far on these Saturday mornings and anything we do as we finish the last three sessions, 
you could probably get just as good or even better of a learning example of what does it mean to be a real man by just going through the Gospels and just studying the life of Jesus. That's the picture of a real man. In fact, remember when Pilate watched him brutally be you know, beaten and, and scourged and, and blood pouring out of his body and the pain and the hardship, the excruciating pain that he went through, Remember, ultimately, as he looked upon Jesus, he said, behold the man. And the idea is he just was blown away at this man, the strength of him. Again, this man who was so loving, so kind, so tender. He'd play with little children and, and was, would humbly serve, and, and yet at the same time was, was just a strong, very masculine man who also was willing to embrace incredible pain and torment and had such strength to persevere and to sacrifice in the way that he did, and Pilate was incredibly impressed by him. So again, if we think of Jesus' life as a man and how he's an example of sacrifice in human history, Jesus gave up, think again, all the glory of heaven, right? He's the son of God. So for all of eternity, before earth ever even came into existence or humanity existed, Jesus enjoyed all the glory of heaven, its comfort, its privileges, being worshiped by the angels, there around the throne of God in perfect bliss and glory on heaven's throne. And in order to humbly serve us sacrificially, he humbly left the throne of God, in a sense set aside many of his privileges and powers that he had in glory there in heaven, entered into this earth humbly to live as a human and to suffer earthly struggles and limitations of a human body and the hardships of humanity, uh, all the difficult human experiences to fulfill the word of God, to live out a sinless, perfect life that you and I cannot live out, nor have we ever, nor will we ever. And he lived out that perfect, sinless life on our behalf to satisfy the righteous requirement of God for humanity, resisting all temptation to selfishly indulge himself, never sinning, being tempted in all points, but never one time giving in to his, his selfishness and uh, in his humanity, if you would, to self-indulge himself. He resisted all of that. And then after that, to embrace the wrath of God on our behalf, stepped into our place and took all of that punishment and the excruciating pain that he endured in his beating and brutality and his crucifixion being beaten and nailed to a cross and spit upon and, and, and mocked with shame and sacrificially chose to endure all that just to benefit us, just to give you and I the better life that we now have and the eternal hope and, and, and the, the freedom to be delivered from our sins. Again, Jesus' sacrifice of offering himself was for our good, to free us, to benefit us, I put in your notes there these first few verses, which just kind of capture the sacrifice of Jesus. Galatians 1.4, Jesus, and listen to the language, gave himself, key term in sacrifice, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Hebrews 9.26 says it a little differently. He has appeared once for all to do away with sin. Aren't you grateful for that? And here's how he had to do it. By the sacrifice of himself. Notice, gave himself 
by the sacrifice of himself, the, the willing, conscious choice to sacrifice himself, to sacrifice his own life, is what brought, think of it, if we, again, consider Scripture, all the benefits that come to our lives as the role of Jesus sacrificing himself, the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of heaven, the escape of eternal torment and hell, to be able to enjoy freedom from the power of sin, ruling over and controlling your life any longer, that now you have power to walk in victory, to overcome your sin nature, to not have to live a slave to sin and its destructive past, to enjoy the grace of God and the favor of God, and not just to mention all the benefits and you know, wonderful things we experience when you start living a good, godly, clean life serving the Lord and all the favorable benefits that come into your life as an individual and the regrets you avoid and the marriage life you can establish and the family life you can establish and just all the light and valuable things that come when we serve the Lord. And again, all of that is the direct result of, again, Jesus sacrificing himself for us being willing to do that. You know, the sacrificial, we might say, the sacrificial nature of God is most clearly revealed in Jesus' coming. We know there are many aspects of God's nature, his attributes, and one of the attributes of our God is he's very giving and generous and benevolent and kind, and he's also sacrificial in his nature, and that's most clearly revealed in Jesus' coming. For example, we find the Father, not being reluctant to give, but giving freely, giving extensively. Uh, put in your notes there, Romans 8.32. This describes the Father's sacrificial giving of his own beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 says it this way, of the Father's sacrificial nature and heart. He did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? So again, look what that's describing there, that God did not spare. The idea is he, he didn't look at what was necessary to help us and say, you know, okay, I mean, I'll do that. I mean, I mean and I guess I'm willing to give this, and, and I'll give that, but there comes a point where, you know, a person may say, I, I got to draw a line. I mean, I've got to be, I got to spare something. I can't just and he didn't spare or hold back. There was no reluctancy in God's heart. Instead, instead of sparing his own son, it says he was willing to deliver him up. In other words, he, he gave to us his absolute best. <clears throat> in his sacrificial nature, he was willing to offer his absolute best, <clears throat> excuse me, for our well-being. So you might say, looking at Romans 8.32, God demonstrated on the front end his greatest degree of willingness to lovingly give and sacrificially help us in our lives. And Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, says if God was willing to give us his best on the front end, then how much more should that encourage us that he's always willing to help us with all the other small or insignificant things in our lives? He says if he, on the very front side, he gave you his very best already. He didn't spare on the front end. He gave his own son. He delivered up his own son for us sacrificially. He, he gave to us Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And he says, if he was willing to do that, if he was willing to give you for free, you know, the $1.5 million mansion, are you stressing out? I wonder if God will give me a toaster. I don't know. 
I really need a toaster, man. I'm stressing out about this toaster. Listen, God will give you a toaster. He already gave you the $1.5 million mansion for free. He gave you Jesus. And again, to, to remember, that is the demonstration of God's sacrificial nature in love to help us, and think about it, to help a bunch of really nice, good, well-behaved men and boys. Oh, I'm just, they're such good kids. I've got to give them a lot, right? It was the exact opposite. We were a bunch of rebels and knuckleheads, and God did that for us because he is sacrificial in nature. And we find Jesus as well, revealing the sacrificial nature of God, setting aside all he had, coming here, enduring what he did. It's in your notes there, Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8, describes the sacrificial nature of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, opposite, he made himself nothing. Isn't that interesting? So many men think the goal in life is to make themselves something. You got to make something out of yourself, son. It says Jesus made himself nothing. He wasn't interested in reputation or fame or he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That was his goal. Let me see if I can be a really great servant. Let me see if I can lower myself and be a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Notice that term, obedient to death. Don't think Jesus dying was easy. We have in our human bodies this you know, kind of drive within us this survival instinct. You know, you, you grab one of the brothers here. I suggest grab a smaller one just for your own safety uh, before you leave this morning and just start strangling him. And, and, and if you start strangling him, tell me if he does not, just because of human survival instinct, try and do something to fight you off, right? To, to stop you from destroying his life. It's just naturally ingrained in our human nature. So again, to do what you have to do to become obedient to sacrificial death, to die. And not only that, but he says, even the death of a cross. Again, understand, crucifixion, you can study it historically. It it's where we get our word, you know, excruciating comes from the same word. It was the most painful, torturous form of capital punishment probably that has ever existed in human history. And Jesus was not only willing to be obedient to death sacrificially, again, he wasn't dying because he was checking out. He wasn't dying because it was just too hard. And see, this is good to show you how diabolical suicidal tendencies are. Because suicidal tendencies, when a person struggles with them and thinks that the right thing to do is to end their life, do you realize how hard truly it is for a human being who's been hardwired with a survival instinct, just the way we're wired as human beings, to be able to go to the place where they suppress everything inside of themselves to end their own life? I mean, you have got to override something that is very strong, a survival instinct inside of yourself, to be able to bring the end of your own life. But of course, that's a diabolical thought. It's a thought of the enemy that wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And ending one's own life is honestly, it's the exact opposite of everything we're talking about because it's the epitome of human selfishness. 
It's basically saying instead of enduring, sacrificing, pushing, persevering for the sake of being here to live out my life like everyone else, to go through human struggles, to, to be here to help whoever else I'm connected to and to love and support and, 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 and live life together in community with other people in my family, I, I just, I, I'm checking out. I just, it's too hard. This is the opposite of what Jesus did. Ending one's own life is just the poor decision to give up, and in a sense, in cowardice, to end one's life early for one's own, because I can't, it's just too hard. Life's become too hard. And I'm not trying to be, you know, anyway, you know, unsensitive towards that struggle. I think we should do all we can to help. But, but I tell you, the bottom line is it is a selfish decision. It's a selfish decision. And it's a lie of the devil to get people to just put an end to their life and really then to punish everyone else that they're connected to because that's what happens. The person ends their own life, and what do they do? And I've done way too many funerals of suicidal victims, and all I see afterwards is all the collateral damage because then you have all the family, the friends, and everybody else who is there afterwards left feeling hurt and angry, and guilty, and confused, and it's our fault, and we didn't do enough, and so on and so forth. And they're, listen, they're punished for the rest of their lives. That person leaves early, and they're punished the rest of their lives. Jesus did the exact opposite. He sacrificed himself, but it was purposeful for the benefit of others, like that soldier dying on the battlefield to free others, to benefit others. In the most excruciating way, Jesus sacrificially laid himself down, enduring great pain, and, and chose to obediently, sacrificially die like that soldier on the battlefield to give life an opportunity to live for someone else. You know, Jesus refers to his great love as what directed his sacrifice, and we might say displayed his sacrificial nature. Look at John 15, verse 12 and 13. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. So he asks us to do as he does, that you now love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his own friends. Again, do you see the connection there? Jesus is talking about love, and he says, greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus there ties these two together. That sacrifice is rooted in love for others. We might say sacrifice is what displays love towards others. I think one of the greatest you know, kind of misunderstandings we have in human culture of what true love really is. We think about sentimentality, you know, and just, you know, all these other ideas of what love really is, and, and we have such a confusion in our culture of what real love really is. And when you look at the Word of God and, and the demonstration of Jesus, the perfect image of humanity, the love from God's perspective, unconditional agape love, that is a love of choice, a love that benefits the other, not oneself in any way. Jesus says the sincerest expression of love is sacrifice. That's what Jesus said. He said this is the sincerest expression of love, sacrifice. That's how you can tell oftentimes if someone truly loves another person. Are they sacrificial towards them? That's how you can tell. 
That's how often you can become aware the extent of someone's love. To what extent does that person sacrifice for you or for others? That's often a, a measuring of the extent of their love. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. And here Jesus displays that in his own description of his life by observing willingness to sacrifice. We see what degree of love is there. And Jesus says, greater love is no one than they're willing to, again, sacrifice, lay down their own life for those that they care about. Ephesians 5.2 says it this way, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God. So again, there's that reminder. We should now walk in love as Christ loved us, offering himself for us by seeking to do the same to represent Christ loving others. And Jesus' very life and how he lived it, to why he lived it, to the way that he ended his life, when you look at his life as a snapshot, it was truly a life all about human sacrifice. I've always said from this podium before, wasn't my thought, but it's a very true statement. Most of us are born to live. Jesus was born to die, right? I mean, he literally was born, and his whole life existence was about servanthood, sacrifice, and dying, ultimately. That was his, what's your life goal? Death. I mean, really, his whole life was about existing to die to himself gradually and then die to himself ultimately to bring benefit and help to others. Jesus said it this way, Mark 10, 45, it's in your notes. Here's the words of our Lord. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, the one who deserved to be served more than anybody else. He was king, king of kings. He deserved to have tons of servants. And Jesus said the king, the greatest of all, did not come to be served. He wasn't looking to be served, but he came to serve. His, his initiative, his agenda was always trying to serve. And you look at the life of Jesus described in the Gospels, and we see that very reality. I tell you, take Mark 10, 45, and... and, and Take that to heart and, and try and live that out in your life. Try and live that out in your marriage. Try and live that out in your home and in your family life. You know, not looking to be served, but the one who's willing to serve and give more than others. He's our example we're supposed to follow. Again, as I said earlier, if we're going to live authentic manhood. As we seek to live authentic manhood, not the way the world displays but the way Jesus displayed, that will be the thing, a sacrificial spirit. His spirit within us, think about it, now wants to live out the life of Christ through us. The Bible teaches that. Christ in you, Christ in me. So the very spirit of our resurrected Lord dwells inside of the Christian. When you got saved, you received Jesus Christ. His spirit entered inside of you, and now his spirit is trying to produce within me the nature of Christ, trying to make me more Christ-like. So as we seek to yield to Jesus, he will be trying to produce within us a heart of a sacrificial man, someone who's willing to lay down our own life and servanthood and sacrifice to die to ourselves in order to benefit and to help others. And you know, I found the biggest enemy to sacrifice or being sacrificial is my own human selfishness. <laughs> That's all it is is that by nature, everything within me wants to be selfish. So we have to, in a sense, declare war against this part of our fleshly sinful nature. 
that wants us at times to be self-serving or self-preserving or self-seeking, and, and that's just a plague within us that causes us to struggle in that way. You know, Jesus shows us that sacrifice really is about choosing to say no to ourselves to honor, again, a higher purpose or to do what would benefit and help others. He spoke often how, again, he did not come to do his will, but to obey the Father's will and to do those things that would benefit those around us. You know, even if you think about just Christian discipleship, and again, remember, the word discipleship implies being a committed learner, a dedicated follower. And, and Jesus calls us to be disciples, which means that we don't just listen to his lectures, we actually try and live according to what he asks of us. That we don't just attend his classes, we try and learn from him so that we might, in a sense, live out the lab work of Christianity. And, and this is a, a part of Christianity in many ways I feel like becomes very deficient sometimes in people's lives is, is you know, I've met many Christians over the years who, they, they love the lectures. Oh, give me Bible studies, give me Bible studies. I love it, love it. I'm a Bible study junkie too, I understand. If you're going to be addicted to something, it's a great addiction. But the reality is, where's your Christian lab work? I'll tell you, one of the places it starts is being connected to a local church. Oh, I love Bible studies. Oh, I love current, modern. I mean, you just you can all day long, you can listen to Bible studies on the radio and YouTube and this and that and wonderful technology. But it's, I mean, it's so great. Who needs to go to a church? You do. Because how do you practice the lab work of Christianity unless you go live with a bunch of other, like yourself, selfish, imperfect, mistaken, flawed Christians? That's how you practice the lab work of Christianity, and you live out those things. Again, we're to be committed followers, dying to ourselves, learning how to live like Christ among one another, and to forgive, and to you know, serve one another, and so forth. That's where it's practiced. When Jesus spoke of Christian discipleship, he used rather strong terms, if we think about it. Look at Luke 9. It's in your notes there, Luke 9, 22 to 24. Jesus said it this way, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and then raised the third day. So Jesus says that of his own experience, and then he says this. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, in other words, do you want to be like me? Do you want to be my follower? He says, if you desire to come after me, here's what he offers for Christianity. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus calls us here, notice he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Now understand, when Jesus talks about here denying oneself, he's not speaking about just self-denial alone. And look, that, that's a good thing. But incredible athletes who want to arrive at high levels of, let's say, you know, Olympic success, they practice self-denial, right? They deny themselves freedoms and privileges, maybe to go have fun or to eat certain ways or to eat a hot fudge sundae because they're practicing self-denial and they're giving up certain things sacrificially because they want to excel in their pursuit or in their sport or their competition. And that's a, a wonderful thing. It's an aspect of discipline. But Jesus isn't talking about self-denial alone. 
He's talking about denial of the self-life. And that's a whole different thing. He's talking about denial of the self-life, that is, deny oneself, deny, Tony, the selfish nature that's naturally inclined within you to want to do what's in your self-interest, to, to do what benefits you, what makes you happy. That part of my selfish human nature that causes me to disregard others, to be driven to please myself, to put my preferences first, and to act in ways where we don't take in consideration honoring God because we're being selfish in a situation, or perhaps maybe doing something that's in the best interest of other people. And we have to learn, Jesus says, if we want to be a Christ follower, to say no to our self-will, to say no to our self-seeking uh, you know, nature, our self-serving desires, if we are to serve Jesus. If we're going to follow him, there needs to be that willing decision to, in a sense, deny the self-life and to take up our cross, to embrace the will of God for our life, and to be able to follow him. You know, the truth of the matter is we cannot follow after, to the fullest extent, our own wishes, desires, preferences, goals, and dreams, and ideals if we're truly going to follow Jesus. Because what if, when I come to Christ, I find out my ideas for my life, or my dreams for my future, or my intentions of what I wanted to do as an adult, or whatever and so forth, what if I find out that's different than the calling that Jesus has for me? Right, and whenever I read of the calling of Jesus in the Gospels, I always see Jesus calling people, follow me. And typically, whether it was Peter and John leaving their nets, or whether it was Matthew at the tax booth, or whoever, so on and so forth, they all left certain things behind to follow Jesus. Jesus even talks about you're not willing to you know, leave behind family and, and houses and riches. and land. For my sake, there's an aspect of following Jesus at times that includes giving up our own life Really, here it is to embrace and discover the life that he has for us as we follow him. That's what Jesus meant in our verses here where he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you see what he's saying there? If you try and save and preserve the life that you want for yourself, Jesus said, you're welcome to do that. You can still go to heaven. You can still go to heaven. You can be forgiven of your sins, and you can still go to heaven. And on earth, you can still save and preserve and keep your life the way you wanted your life to go and what you want for your life. And he says, you can do that, but what you're going to find is you're going to be a person who goes to heaven, but you're going to lose a lot of what you could have experienced on earth because you chose to want to have life your way. But he says, if you're willing to lose your life, he says, then, for my sake, you'll actually end up saving, sparing yourself, because what you'll find is you'll discover the life that Jesus has for you. And look, here's what I can tell you, just from my own personal experience, I can't speak for others. Is a part of following Jesus maybe leaving this behind or letting go of that or not being able to obtain this or not being able to live the same as others or so on and so forth? Again, you can fill all the details, but here's what I could tell you. And this became a thing for me mentally trying to reconcile some of this, particularly as a younger Christian. Who do I think has a better plan for my life? I mean, you know, I have a, a HSD and I have a CDO, which means I, I have a high school diploma and I'm a college dropout after a year. 
But, but here's what I can tell you. It doesn't take a whole lot of education to realize there is someone who is much wiser, who knows way more about me and how I was knit together my mother's womb and so on and so forth, and who called me not just to go to heaven but to serve him, who probably has a much better idea for my life than I do. And if I'm willing to lay down my will and lay down my life, he says, if you do that, if you lose your life, you'll find the life that I have for you. And that'll include the plan I have for you and the awesome wife I have for you, bro. Think I can't pick one out better for you, Jesus would say. Don't pick your own. Let Jesus pick your wife. And, and, and the family life I can give to you and the future and the calling. And again, what he uses our life for vocationally and ministry and so forth. But there is that part where we have to learn to say no to ourselves to please the Lord and follow fully his will and plan for our life. But I tell you, what you give up, trust me, you're not going to stand on the other side and go, oh, I'm so bummed I gave up. I, I, I've been married almost 30 years now. I, I've been a Christian since 1992. I don't sit around going, man, I really wish. I, I don't. Were there things to set aside, of course, but what the Lord has brought into my life has been so much more full and fulfilling and, and recognizing this is a much better life than I would have chosen for myself had I charted my own course in some way. You know, sometimes this sacrificial nature of Jesus in our life requires us to say no to ourselves. again, as I said, to benefit and to bless others like Jesus, which means sometimes as men, and in our culture, guys, it means we have to deny this lie that's within the, the society that I'm entitled to certain pleasures or, you know, to certain standards of living or comforts or fun or ease and deny this lie that I, you know, I deserve certain possessions or to have certain things because this is what culture says I should have materially. Again, whether it's the vehicle you drive or, you know, the home that you have or where you live or whatever, you know, the electronic devices or the, or the man toys or the hobbies. And there's this you know, constant lie to conform to the patterns of this world that you're, you're entitled to this. You work hard. You work hard. You deserve this, and you deserve that, and you should be able to do this. And, and again, this, this whole kind of lie that we can buy into, Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 tells us this, to have the same mindset as Jesus, and look what it says. Having the same mindset of Jesus. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Look, ambition and being an ambitious person in a healthy way is a good thing. But here he says, be careful of being ambitious with a self-serving motive. Well, I'm very ambitious, but, but why are you very ambitious? Are you ambitious because you want to benefit others? Or are you ambitious because you want something more for yourself? And so he says, be careful of selfish ambition or conceit. What's conceit? Conceited people, they think very highly of themselves. And he says, be careful of that, thinking too highly of yourself and your own self-importance, but in lowliness of mind, have a low view of your own importance. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, these two verses here from Philippians, I use these as part of the premarital counseling that I do with couples. There are numerous places like this where passages in scripture that I take couples to beyond just the typical Ephesians 5 and, and marital, you know, type, you know, obvious scriptures that are in the Bible, because I say, look, these are basic relationship principles. 
and I always tell couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, I said, marriage is like relationships on steroids. And I say that the whole time I'm doing premarital counseling with them. Marriage is like relationship on steroids. And I say, look, if this is what the Bible says is how we're supposed to relate to each other relationally as a brother and Lord, as, as Christian family, how much more if marriage is relationship on steroids? Do I need to live these Christian relationship principles with my wife? And so I look at Philippians 2 as some of the greatest marital advice that I ever got. Tony, this is the way to live a healthy marital life. This is the way to relate to your wife, to try and treat your wife with a Christ-like mindset, the same mind as Christ, sacrificially. Always think less of yourself and think much more of your wife. Put her preferences above yours, her desires, her comforts, her pleasures, her happiness, blessing her, and don't look out for your own interests, but, but always be looking out for her interests. You know, too many married people have marriage problems, and part of the reason is, is because they don't make decisions thinking about what's in the best interest of their spouse. And, and, and this causes a lot of problems in their marriage relationship. They're still trying to live with a single mindset where all you had to think about, well, I want to work this job, or I want to move to this place, or I want to do this thing, or I want to buy this house. Right? When you were single, you could think like that. But you're not single no more. <laughs> when you become married, everything you do directly influences your spouse. So now you always have to think differently. I want to work this job. Okay, that, you want to work that job. But is that in the best interest of your wife? I don't know. You have to let God answer that between you and him. I want to take this path, or I want to move to this place, or I want to buy this thing, or I want to do this thing. And you have to ask yourself that question. Is this in the best interest of, of my spouse, in the best interest of my children? Again, that's that mindset of Christ being willing to die to self and be sacrificial and make that shift. Really, I think, gentlemen, from immaturity to maturity to generally and spiritually try and relate to people around us in that way, beginning with, of course, our own household. If we think about it, babies and toddlers, right? I've raised a few. They're adults now, but some of you are raising children. Babies and toddlers, are they not incredibly self-consumed? Self-centered, right? The world revolves around them. That's a part of, of, of immaturity and, and of youthfulness. And part of maturing is teaching our kids to realize there are other people in the world. There are other people in this house. That's a part of helping them progress from infancy where they scream and cry for everything and they always want to be served, serve me, 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 and helping them to progress as they mature in that way. You know, what's more is even at times being willing, I think, to suffer with less or endure without in order to put other people first and to meet the needs of others or to bless them with a better life. Again, Jesus said we're to embrace this spirit of him in our life. 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and now he puts it upon us, the Bible does, look, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, that is, for others. You know, it's an unknown author, but I found this quote. It says this, Sometimes you need to sacrifice something that matters to you to offer something that matters more to someone else. And, you know, I think this is a part of that very reality there, where am I willing at times to suffer with less or endure without in order to somehow bless or benefit or bring the betterment 
of another person. And again, I can't think of any place this starts better than just in our own family lives. I think of my own experience over the years, you know, with my wife and raising our three daughters. You know, they're adults and, and married now and starting to have their own children. But I think of how many times that was what I tried to do how I tried to live in a way whereby trying to be sacrificial. I think of all the little... You know, the things that you do. And, and trying to, you know, keep mom home and do the one-income family thing and, and the sacrifices that you make. You know, the second job that you'll take or, or, or the willingness to you know, to be on a family vacation and, and to, you know, stroll down the boardwalk. And can we get ice cream? Yeah, we can get ice cream. Dad, why don't you ever get ice cream? But Daddy doesn't want any. And I do like ice cream. you know the little things that you do I don't want ice cream because I want to keep being able to buy you ice cream or you go to a restaurant everybody's ordering what they want out to eat you look for the cheapest stinking thing on the menu and you order the cheapest thing on the menu and your, your family and your kids grow up thinking dad you eat so little I just you don't have an appetite like most men most men usually eat a lot why don't you eat a lot You know, sometimes you rob Peter to pay Paul. In my life, I was always robbing Peter to pay Paula, and Paula, and Paula, and Paula, because I had four Paulas, and I wanted them to have a good life, and I wanted to bless them. And so you look for those little ways, you know, where you make sacrifices, where you choose to go without, and, and you choose to, well, you're so cheap. You can call me cheap. That's fine. Call me cheap. I hope when I die, somebody recognizes at my memorial service that the primary place I was cheap was with myself. I never tried to be cheap with my wife or cheap with my children. I tried to be cheap with myself, and to me it was, I'm just trying to be sacrificial. You can call me cheap if you want. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I've been misunderstood and accused of things. But again, these, these little small ways that we can make sacrifices. Remember when we first were pastoring the the church, we first church we planted in York, Pennsylvania. We, we moved from here and, and you know, went to Pennsylvania and planted a Calvary Chapel and pastored there for 13 years. And I was 25 when we first went, and my oldest daughter was two and a half. My youngest daughter was a um, middle daughter, but not the youngest, the middle one at that time. She was only six months old. My wife had just had her. And again, we were there planning a church, but I didn't want to subject more difficulty and hardship to my wife and kids. I knew I still needed to be a good husband. I still needed to be a, a solid, committed, involved dad. So again, how did I study for Bible studies? After I, again, the first three years I was there, I was working full times, doing the bivocational bi thing and so on and so forth. How did I do that? Once they all went to sleep, and I wanted to go to sleep too. But Bible study time wasn't, honey, you're going to have to watch the kids or whatever because pastor needs to study for his Bible study to fulfill my calling. No, it was, I tried to be a husband and a dad, and then when they all went to sleep, then once they all went to sleep, I'd stay up and give up sleep and sacrifice sleep so that I didn't rob them from something, and, and I took the sacrifice myself, you see what I'm saying, 
in order to be able to try and be that husband, to be that father, and also to make those sacrifices to teach the Word of God and to serve people that I was ministering to. And look, let me move on from that. I'm not trying to share these things, gentlemen, to play the hero in the story or look of any way of, oh, man, the church should give Tony a raise. You don't need no ice cream. Church takes good care of me. It's nothing to do with that. These are, these are you pass war stories purposely to just illustrate the point of ways we can be sacrificial in small ways to the biggest ways that we do such. You know, it's often true that one man said there are no change, no progress, and no success without some sacrifice. And you know, that's true in every area of life. Paul's in life was incredibly impactful, Paul the Apostle, but what was Paul's life characterized by? Sacrificial suffering. I put in your notes there, Philippians 2.17, 2 Timothy 4.6, two verses that refer to Paul's life as a drink offering. The drink offering was just fluid, wine, water, whatever, poured out on the, on the hot fire, and it, it just would sizzle, and it would just disappear. It was basically poured out to basically be discarded as a way of making an offering. Again, another anonymous quote, nothing great was ever accomplished without making sacrifices. So again, we don't want to let our natural inclinations, because it's in within all of us, it's hardwired in me, I don't know about you, to be lazy or fearful or selfish or whatever else may hold us back to rob us from making sacrifices to see change in our life or to make progress or to go forward in some area. Chuck Swindoll said this, great Bible teacher, he said, I've never met a person who accomplished great things who wasn't intimately familiar with sacrifice. Great statement. And we have to learn how to make sacrifices if we're to become really the the man that God can make us become. And foremost, again, that starts with just honoring, obeying, and serving the Lord in gratitude. Romans 12, 1 speaks of this idea of sacrifice for the sake of honoring God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Again, being willing to offer our bodies, offer our life as a living sacrifice to God, living to sacrifice to, in a sense, out of gratitude to, to give back to the one who sacrificed so much for us. Pastor Harry Ironside said this, no sacrifice should be too great for him who gave himself for us. And again, as Christians, whether it's seeking to please the Lord and obey the Lord and serve the Lord, or whether it's reflecting the nature of Christ, our lives should be defined by this sacrificial spirit. It should be what we demonstrate as we live to follow Christ. 1 Peter 2.21 tells us it's a calling. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Again, the idea is looking at his example, he endured mistreatment, he willingly suffered, he embraced hardship to benefit and bless other people. And he says, now we should look at his example and follow his steps. Again, guys, I just want to encourage, don't, don't follow the patterns of this world. Please, I beg you, do not follow the, the world's idea of what a man is supposed to be. It's ridiculously sad. Follow the example of Jesus. That is the greatest demonstration of authentic manhood. Chuck Swindoll, again, said, with true greatness 
comes a willingness to sacrifice for others. Sadly, I see too many men in the world that they're not willing to sacrifice for others. They're willing to live very self-indulgent, but they're not willing to make sacrifices for the sake of others in a giving spirit like Christ did. Again, what are some practical ways you can kind of put this into practice? Well, sometimes it's about sacrificing immediate fulfillment for we often call it delayed gratification. So there's an opportunity for immediate fulfillment. Don't embrace it. Set it aside. Sometimes you got to deny immediate fulfillment. Say no to yourself for the delayed gratification or something better in the future. Maybe it's, again, sacrificing sleep to do something to, to be faithful. Hey, I need to do this. Well, maybe the way that you're able to do that is maybe you've got to make the sacrifice. You've got to give up a little bit of sleep, do it at an off hour, early morning, late at night. I don't know. Maybe it's working harder. Maybe it's longer hours. What it's, you know, whatever it is, acts of servanthood that require inconveniencing ourselves in order to do what's in the best interest of other people. Maybe it's giving up something fun or enjoyable to do what's responsible. And sometimes that's a measure of sacrifice. Oh, it'll be fun to do this or enjoyable to do that. Well, it, it may be, but maybe you give up something fun or enjoyable in order to do what's responsible, to be sacrificial. And sometimes that's a, a, a decision that, that can be made to live in a sacrificial way or to do something more needful to assist another person. You know, let, let me land on this final thought because I think it ties together what we're talking about and particularly applies to us as men. You know, as men, we should always be exercising the strength to carry a heavier load and a harder load. Let me say that again. As men, we should be exercising the strength to carry the heavier load and to bear the harder load. We are called to higher degrees of sacrifice for one reason— because you're a man. And I can prove that, taking away even the word of God. Why in prior days did we only send male soldiers into combat? Because we knew innately within ourselves, we understood, we believed, and we expected that males should make greater sacrifices. We just knew it innately until madness came into the minds of people and humanity. And look, in the same way, we're called to be soldiers of Christ. As men, we should always be exercising strength to carry that heavier or harder load. You know, one verse I referenced before, again, it's another great marital verse, 1 Peter 3 there, Peter says, giving his marital vice, that we're to dwell with our wives as the weaker vessel. doesn't mean inferior. It simply means by God's heart, looking at them as our, his daughters, it conveys something that a lady is more delicate. She's more fragile. There's a weakness there in comparison to a man physically, I believe in some ways as well, maybe emotionally in the same capacity, and men are intended just by God's heart to be a little bit more rugged. God's saying, you can bear a little more. Come on, you're a man. You're a man. You can sacrifice. You can endure a little more. Don't put the harder load on your wife. Shame on you, God would say. If somebody's going to carry a heavier load, if somebody's going to be more tired, if somebody's going to have a little bit harder life, God's saying, 
That's your job. She's the weaker vessel. She's delicate. You can bear more. You should embrace more. You know, one of the greatest areas of personal sacrifice men are called to obey, the Bible teaches, is in our family wife life, loving our wives and loving our children sacrificially. Ephesians 5.25, it's the final verse in your notes there. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Notice, here's one of the primary roles and responsibilities of a husband. There are a few I find in Scripture, but here's really the predominant primary role of the husband, and here's how it's, how it's understood, and I shared this in premarital counseling, love your wife sacrificially. Love your wife sacrificially. Again, he says, husbands, love your wives, and he's talking about that unconditional, self-denial, sacrificial, agape love. It's not based on conditions or treatment. It's based on a choice to die to self, to benefit another. And then he says, verse 25 of chapter Ephesians 5, just as, in other words, there's, there's the, the, the standard, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So again, when I do premarital counseling, I, I remind the guys when I'm sitting in front of them, okay, let's think through that. Here's how that, that means. We're to love our wives sacrificially just like Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. What did Jesus do? Jesus left heaven, all the comforts and ease and pleasures and glories and, and everything at his disposal. He gave up everything he had. He, he gave, and, and he entered humbly into our world, and he humbled himself, and he served, and he poured out his life, and he sacrificed constantly, and then he even ultimately died to himself to be able to benefit and to bless us. And so I say, here's your job as a husband if you still want to get married. <laughs> you got to be willing to leave your world, bro. And I say, look, my world and my wife's world, they are two different worlds, man. Two different worlds. But to leave my world and to enter into her world and entering into her world to humbly lay down my life and to give up my rights and my desires and my preferences and to humbly serve her and to think solely about what is in her best interest. How can I take care of her, bless her, help her to flourish and prosper and give her the absolute best life possible through humble servanthood and through sacrificial acts and the willingness, again, maybe not for you, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, to die to myself, to be able to enrich her life, to be able to give her the best life, to give her happiness, to please her, to serve her, to prosper her life. That is the call of that sacrificial love of the husband, again, for our wives and for our children. You know, great thing to ask ourselves sometimes, how are we doing in the area of overcoming our selfishness seeking to be sacrificial as a man. And may the example of Jesus and may the empowering of the Lord Jesus give us grace day by day to be more sacrificial men. Let's stand together, brothers. Father, thank you for this occasion this morning to consider this subject of being sacrificial. And Lord, we know often we fall short. And Lord, we humbly ask before you as a group of men who sacrificed our morning and our time to be here today, that you'd give us grace to be more sacrificial. 
Please, Lord, I ask by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, make us more like you, Jesus, that we might reflect you well and bless and benefit those around us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.